We had a collaboration with some Chinese com uh, Chinese uh, scientists. Here we have a vaccine. What is the problem? Get over it. Now, if we do a really great job on new vaccines, healthcare, reproductive health services, we could lower that by perhaps 10 or 15 percent. I hope that it can occur in a, a civil way, and I, 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 I mean civil in a special way, I, peaceful. The biggest question, in, maybe in economics and politics of the coming decade, will be what to do with all these useless people. I just see the need for such a dialogue, and I see the need for action. I see the need for a great reset. We are 179 weeks into two weeks to flatten the curve. Thank you for joining us today. I'm Johnny Anderson, alongside the fan favorite, somewhere between psychotic and iconic, Marty Foster. Marty, how are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. But a little bit more psychotic than usual for a number of reasons, not all of which I'm willing to put on air. Well, let's start with the uh, the, the past weekend. And since you've already brought me up to speed and I brought Bruce up to speed, I showed him what I couldn't unsee via you. So... Uh, you can clue all the listeners in as to how your weekend went with the uh, the LARP event and the types of individuals that you came into, I'm sorry to say, close proximity to. Well, to be fair, these individuals did me no harm, bar one, I think. However, it it was it was amusing. And I, I had flicked the switch on the back of my head that says, nice Marty to nice, as opposed to asshole marty which i could have responded as i misgendered two people and it was in you know it, not a, a deliberate misgendering i looked at the individual saw individuals saw what i thought was a male and a female and i got corrected once when i said oh yeah yeah well, she did this and the person said he i went oh okay sorry uh and and they then went on to explain. Oh, I don't mind being being misgendered um, uh, as as long as uh, I don't get an argument when I correct someone. And surgery's a bitch. This particular person would put Sam Fox to shame in the chess department, but likes to be called he. So yeah, the that uh, was, the the beard in the chest kind of kind of that, threw me that off. That beard, that beard is just makeup. However, oh, okay, she, she has got. Sorry, they have got more hair on their legs than I have. But then again, that's their choice. That that's fine. But you know, if you're gonna look so much like a female, you need to expect to be referred to as such. And you can't really expect anyone not to say she, even if you want to be called he. But like I say, I didn't make a thing a, a big thing out of it. I was there for fun. They were there for fun. And the other one, <laughs> I was acting as uh, a kind of leader for the weekend as is my as is my wont and i um i walked past this other person and asked them what they were doing and i went oh thank you good man and they went girl i went oh, okay sorry 
And it's the same story. Uh, and this particular... This is the one with the dynamite and the, and the, the bomb, right? That's the one, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it was just very amusing. But also, bearing in mind, it's an entirely adult. Everyone's over 18. And I was sat by my campfire. And a kind of there's been a kind of rivalry and a bit of enmity between several of the factions and this group who call themselves the crew, who dress as pirates in sort of nineteenth um, century clothing and tricorn hats, uh, and a young lady who does identify as a lady, as it turns out, has a big bustle underneath her heavy skirts, and I'm just sat there. And admittedly, I had had a couple of gym beams. Other forms of bourbon are also available. And I just said, hi, pirate lady, nice bustle. And the pirate lady just bustled off. But somebody else overheard and said, you can't say that. I went, yeah, I can. I just did. And uh, it was only a compliment anyway. And it was in fun. Oh, yeah, but you're a six foot man and she's a five foot woman. And I left it at that because my next, the thing that would have come out of my head next was, I am a six foot man and you're a five foot 10 man. And I'm about to, um, uh, you know, take this at the next step. But I didn't. I just carried on sitting there by my fire drinking. You're desperate to say something. I, I am. Um, does this woman who identified as a woman, does she not understand or the individual that is because I'm assuming everybody was in character? Yeah. Yes. Uh, so assume, assumedly. OK, so does this individual that was critiquing you for hollering at this young lady who was playing a pirate, by the way, do they not understand how I'm just speaking in character, how women were treated in the days of the Pirates of the Caribbean type of thing? Do, I mean, they, that was, you were Clearly being very not. polite. It, you were being extremely polite, in my opinion. The individual I was, I was just being friendly uh, and I spoke to many people over the weekend and there was lots of innuendo. Isn't it amusing how innuendo is indeed an innuendo? But yeah, there, there was lots of that ribald adult conversation between grown-ups, none of it harmful, none of it predatory or bullying. But this particular individual wanted to make a thing of it. And, you know, the sad thing is the character that he, he'd been playing in the previous uh, events has already been murdered. Otherwise, my group were going to murder that character for sure. Not because we're just petty, but because he really did have it coming. And I don't know if any of our listeners are into role play games, if they're into Dungeons and Dragons or Hero Quest or any of these kind of games. Most people, when they uh, write up a character and develop the stats and the, the skills and abilities and outlook and attitude of that character, it's about 85% them. It might only be 20 to 15% something that they're playing. The rest of it, they play as themselves. So this guy, whose new character is equally troublesome, obviously is about 85% twat. So that's that's all I can assume from that. Anyway, enough about this nonsense. That's just dressing up, getting drunk, sitting by fires, bit of sword fighting at weekends we've got much more important things to um philosophy about we do and um i'm assuming that you caught my uh my correction that i said to you earlier in the week on broadcast yes i did i did i mean it's an easy mistake to make that kind of misspeak is known as a molloprop and i think it came from was it doctor or professor molloprop or mrs molloprop Someone known for always saying the wrong thing, like, oh, how about that 
specifically rather than specifically. There's a character in a in a sitcom, Mrs. Slocum, who would say things like, I am unanimous in this. And it's just a use of the word that sounds like the one you want in the wrong place. And it happens all the time. However, the reason I I, I did sort of pick you up on it is because when people are posting memes or broadcasting a podcast, if they get something wrong, it's a chink in the armor for people to attack through. And I was explaining to you in prep earlier about a post that someone on one of the anti-Ulis pages had, had put up. And it's a picture of Sadiq Khan sat on a tube train talking to people, laughing and joking. And the speech bubble said, so I said, if you bung me £12.50, you are car stops polluting till midnight. And they only bloody believe me. So instead of writing the word your, Y-O-U-R, they've typed Y-O-U apostrophe R-E. So the sentence doesn't make any sense. Yeah. And I thought, well, okay, he shared that. So I'm going to say something. I'm going to say, you know, it's embarrassing um, to spell, spell check things before you post them. And he came back and said, oh, it's, it's just a, a post I've shared. Uh, but the sentiment is what's important. And I had to reply and said, yes, of course, the sentiment is important. However, every time you make a mistake like this, it makes it look silly. It makes us look stupid. It makes us look like idiots. How many times have you seen uh, on mainstream media uh, a protest the reporter chooses the most inbred, redneck, thick as mince idiot to speak on the topic, which totally undermines the topic. So if you're going to post something, if you're going to make a clever little meme that supports any one of the causes that we're talking about, because they're all disparate causes at the moment, when really they should all be the same cause, get it right. Don't give the enemy a chance to use it against you. So, yeah, I'm sorry if um, if I sound pedantic, but it is important. No, I understand your point. Uh, it is it is quite important. And I like I said, I, I do my my best to try and make sure that everything is is as perfect as it possibly can be. It's it's I was explaining earlier in the week that when the listener gets the last product, like the, the final product, the end product, you're not getting 45 minutes to an hour. You're getting like five or six hours worth of work. And I, like I said, I, I do my best to try and get all that stuff in order and make sure everything you, sounds correct. You can't correct. help it. I mean, let's let's face it. English, proper English is, is your second language. So, um... <laughs> <laughs> And it continues. Yes, 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 it does. All right. You have a notebook full of goodies that you've been scratching down all week. What do you got? I wouldn't say it's a notebook full. It's it's a page, and again, it it's quite mixed up. Part of it was about the the spoonerisms and molloprop because Melissa said that she got the first letter of those two uh, families in Chicago mixed yeah. up, and I I get it. Editing uh, and and the rest of it is is a long process, and you haven't always got time to go back and redo it. So I think in that circumstance, with the again, I can't remember the name of the two families. I would have used it. I'd have I'd have owned it. I'd have kept on putting them around the wrong way. It's like the way I call Twitter Twatter and Facebook Fastbook, all those sorts of things. Just 
just live with it, own it, go with it. But what you were talking about there was was foundations. It occurred to me that there's a real similarity between the way in which these foundations work, such as Ford and Soros's Open Society and, and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation works, is that by diverting money into a, tran- uh, a charitable foundation, they pay less tax. Not only do they pay less tax, but the money that they would have paid in tax, they now get to decide how it's spent. So it's extremely one-sided. And this is really so similar to the way in which the European Union works. All of the countries that pay in a positive amount into the European Union, and when the UK was there, I think we were the second or third highest contributor possibly second. But of course, we got some money back in what they called the rebate. But that money had to be spent where the EU commission decided it should be spent. So it's all the kind of projects that promotes belonging to the EU. They picked parts of society that were left-wing to benefit, which is, you know, all of society needs to, to benefit. But these projects that the rebate could be spent on were specially selected by the EU. We haven't got these big foundations in the UK. What we had was the EU in its place or in their place. And I just think it's it's such a similarity where, right, I don't want to pay tax because if I pay tax to the federal government, they will spend that where they want to spend it, not where I want it spent. So I'll have a charitable foundation. I'll divert all my profits into that. Therefore, I will pay next to no tax to the federal government. And I get to decide where that money gets spent. For them, it's a win-win. For everybody else, it's pretty much you lose that tax benefit that should be going into your national, federal, state coffers. Yeah. And not only that, not only on the international uh, scale of things when it comes to filtering money uh, or channeling money, it also works domestically as well. I played a clip of, uh, of Jeremy Clarkson, you know, one of your former television presenters talking He's about still how they're presenting, but not for the BBC is anymore. Is he doing the Amazon thing? I thought they fired him. I'm not at all sure if they fired him. He's still got his, uh, okay. his TV program show. about his yeah, okay. farm that he bought, yeah, okay. which is right. really interesting. It is. Yeah, it is quite interesting. Um, but he was explaining in that clip that I was playing that he put out on one of his social media posts about how they're going to tear out all the trees in, um, I can't remember the name of the place, but you you know where it was. Some very green place all, all down in, in London. I can't remember where it was. Yeah, anyway. it's one of the parks. I can't remember. Yeah. St. James's Park or something like that. Something like it's- that. What is he was going to, to, make, t- to make a cycle. Oh, yeah, yeah the it's, cycle. Lane. It's on the A14 coming yeah. into London. Yeah, and they were going to tear the trees down to make a cycle path. Yes, and it was going to cost forty-five million pounds or something for four miles. So it was going to be ten million pounds a mile yeah. to do this. Yeah, well, that's the kind of mental crap that happens when you've got someone like Sadiq Khan and all of these ultra-woke left-wing councillors in these wards within inner and greater London. It's, it, 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 it beggars belief, it really does. What's wrong with a, a bicycle taking a slightly circuitous route through the trees? Why do they have to be torn down? There's no answer to that. 
there is no answer to that. Uh, and they're doing it because they want to spend the money there rather than anywhere it would do some actual good. Because, you know, there there is no, in Bruce's term, benign explanation as to why they would waste that much money on something that could be done much more cheaply. Got no problem with psychopaths. Psychopaths, yes. I and mean, there's plenty of them in office at the moment. There's a new group that's popped up, and I mentioned them very briefly earlier this week. We don't have Just Stop Oil any longer. Well, I mean, they're still there, but they're quiet lately. But we have Just Stop Trees now. Have you heard of Just Stop Trees? No, not until you mentioned it. I'd not heard of them. But like Melissa said, someone somewhere is is paying for this group to exist. Yes, um, the group. I, I'm, I, I want to start a new one called Just Stop Splitting Malls. Just um, stop splitting malls. Splitting malls and, and see if they can stop them with their forehead. Oh, no, I, I shouldn't say stuff like that, but it just makes my blood boil at how ridiculous these wokists are. I mean, they can be manipulated so easily and they don't see that they're being manipulated. What were you going to say just then? Sorry, I interrupted. Well, no, I was just I was just going to point out that the group is uh, aged five to seventy five, just like you have with the uh, the just stop oil, you know, taking their kids out there kind of thing. And they used uprooted saplings to block drains in the publicly owned plantation where they were pulling the trees up, thereby beginning what they say is the restoration of degraded peatland. They believe that the trees that have been planted are actually only going to be used for logging purposes. And so therefore, they believe that they are harmful. So they go out and they pull them up and they stuff them down storm drains to prove a point. Well, thinking on it, so what? So what if they are going to eventually be used uh, as timber? Because there's no point in cutting a, a sapling down after one or two years. You need that tree to grow for possibly 10 to 15 years. Um, before it's any use to you whatsoever. So during that time, that tree is turning carbon dioxide into oxygen. It's holding the land together, um, particularly in these peaty, boggy areas. It's putting down root systems. Uh, it's creating shade and shelter for insects, wildlife. So these people are... Off their tree. They are (laughs) off their rockers, aren't they? They, you know, if if brains were dynamite, they wouldn't have enough to uh it, you know, to to blow blow the lid off something. They're they're just stupid. Indeed they are. What else you got? Well what else is irritating you? And I mean this I mean this in in a in a complimentary way, because listening to people's conversations should promote thought. And the conversation that you had with Melissa the other day, as I sat here, where I'm sat right now, I just wish I could have picked the phone up and got involved. But of course, it had already been recorded because some of the stuff we we need to, to get people to understand that freedom is what we are all looking for. We're, we're not looking to be confined by whatever new world order has reared its ugly head. We are looking to live our lives as free as possible. Now, not everyone in society could cope without society. The society is there to give people who are not as skilled or advantaged as, as others a chance to exist, be productive uh, and and lead a happy life. Real freedom is also the freedom to fail. And 
as our societies are breaking down and, and changing as a result of direct action from bad actors like the World Health Organization, like the United Nations, like the World Economic Forum, like our own governments and and their benefactors in the form of people like Gates, Soros, Bezos, Musk even, you're going to find people who are exposed as these societies break down and, and governments haven't got the ability to give benefits, social welfare, those kind of things to certain parts of society, they will fail. And if we had a complete societal breakdown, an awful lot of people who haven't got some of those more historical survival skills simply will not survive. And that's the truth of it. Freedom is also the freedom to fail. And at the moment, everything's being propped up. Parts of society that should have failed and gone out of existence have been artificially kept alive and, and they've grown. I heard someone the other day describing, you know, blue collar society, how there's two types of, for want of a better description, blue collar, working class. Some people who are tradespeople, people who are like plumbers, carpenters, bricklayers, electricians, carry themselves more like they were doctors, philosophers, because they've got a skill that people need and they can sustain themselves and their families on the basis of their labours. Others who haven't got those skills feel disadvantaged, disenfranchised, and they turn to other ways of getting what they want. And this is where you were talking about the breakdown of law and order, particularly in the US, San Francisco, for instance. You've got these people who have got nothing left to lose, and so they will do what the gangs tell them to do. They will go and rob a, a department store. They will go and hold up a bank. They will mug people in the street because they feel they've got nothing left to lose and society isn't giving them anything. Yeah, so here, here we've got this gang now rampaging through a clothing store, just grabbing everything. I mean, I'm sure that guy there that's just picked up that that lacy two-piece set of underwear is going to look fantastic in that, but it's just indiscriminate theft. So yeah, we have got these two levels of working class, blue collar, whatever you want to call it, society. And the only way to get rid of the negative side of it, those without skills, is to give them the skills. But of course, if everything's going to be automated and you know less and less jobs, what are we going to do with these useless people? They're going to become those stakes that Wallace is selling, yeah, or, or, or promoting, Good harvest, yeah. aren't they? <laughs> and this is uh, this is another <clears throat> crew taking it upon themselves to um, get their just due at a uh, at a jewelry store, smashing out the display cases and filling just garbage bags and or trash bags, rubbish bags, whatever you call them, bin liners with jewelry from the cases and just running out the and this is in the middle of a shopping mall you can see this is this yeah. is not exactly just on the on the side of the street this is in the middle of a shopping mall where they have to go through security and everything else and they they just they obviously they just do this with impunity but let, let's let's just talk for a moment about how this all got set up and we're going back probably seven eight hundred years you're a farmer the only real job you've got some land that you're farming you've got crops However, there's only you, your son, your wife, and your daughter. So when the robber baron comes up and says, right, I need some, some of your produce, I want some of that, some of that, some of that, and your daughter, you don't have a great deal of choice. 
But that's how it all started off. The people who were not able to defend themselves against a guy in chainmail with a longsword suddenly became vassals to that that guy with the the, the chainmail and the and the longsword, and they would pay for his protection. So the whole thing about British and European nobility, it, it's actually a bloody uh, what's the term? Where you know it's demanding money with menaces. It's a uh, what's the mob term for it? Extortion. A protect. It's a protection right. and distortion. Uh, extortion racket, uh, and it has been all this time. And I don't want to sound like some kind of left wing lunatic being jealous of people with with wealth because I'm not. But this is how this whole concept of society having parts of it that are there to protect tradespeople, vendors, manufacturers, people who produce things from the likes of those that would steal it. But that jewellery shop there and the chain that it belongs to have been severely let down by society, by that element of society, by law enforcement, by the security side of it. And, and we're finding that. So if we've got to the point where you can't guarantee that your livelihood is protected, what the hell are you paying your taxes for? I've, I've heard this argument, and maybe we can discuss this a little bit. I've heard this argument before about how the um, the aristocracy, you know, I, I know that we're kind of fast forwarding maybe a couple of hundred years here, but from where you were, you were talking about, but the aristocracy actually had a sense of uh, I don't know principles, right? They had a they had a duty to people to try and and protect certain things and certain interests. Whereas the capitalist class has kind of come in and they've muscled the aristocracy out, and we've now implemented representative <clears throat> democracies, and we see that society has taken a downturn since that point. So, do you think that the aristocracy was a better choice? Do you think moving them or muscling them out of the way? was really the way to go. A lot of the landed gentry in the UK saw themselves as custodians, not owners. Right, right. They had custody of the land, custody of the people living within their their land. It was still uh, an overinflated sense of entitlement, really, but it was, I think, for the time, beneficial because their concern was we need to produce as much food from the land we have as possible. That way we can gain wealth. If we have a surplus, we can sell it to neighboring towns and villages and people became productive and, and lived a happy life. But there was a there was a caveat to that. Again, you go back to about the 14th, 15th centuries. Those landowners were also on a bound to when the king said, we need an army to provide men and weapons and equipment and food for that army. That's how they got their, their dukedoms, earldoms, and, and so on. It was part of the deal. So they wanted their lands and their villages to be full of reproductive, healthily reproductive people, churning out sons and daughters to feed that, that military strength as well as the uh, agricultural strength. And, and indeed, as crafts were developed, craftsmen, carpenters, charcoal burners even, all kinds of different, different trades. trades. skills, yes. Yeah. So there was a, a level of nurturing. And the problem is not everybody's got the moral compass that their their father may have had, for instance, or their mother. And so when the land passes to an arsehat, things start to go wrong. 
and you you get that and then you have to have rebellion someone has to take him out or, or them out you know uh, and to 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 sort of settle things back down again so everyone's happy but like i say freedom uh is also the freedom to fail and if you're too small you get consumed if you're too successful but can't defend that success you're going to get eaten up this is one of life's long ever since there was man this is this has been a problem and modern society has been the solution to that problem but it's being broken down and it's got to a point where you can't trust your own politicians you can't trust your own law enforcement and justice system and so therefore that society is starting to turn in on itself so we go through, and I don't want to sound like Klaus Schwab here, but we go through a reset. We have to go back. But the problem I think that we're faced with is no one knows what that's supposed to look like. And you've got this, uh, for lack of a better term, right off the top of my head at the moment, you've got this entitled, spoiled, stupid plutocracy that believes that they know best and they're going to remake things. And then you've got, obviously, I, I believe you've got several other factions in there, but I, I'm... 200% sure of I know what the big nasty is behind all this. And it's yeah. destruction for the sake of destruction. And they have no solution to this. None. It's yeah, just literally we're going to burn it all down. And we're going to dance on the ashes. Because the only way in which the plutocracy are stupid is that they they haven't been far-sighted enough to see what happens to them once that reset has taken place. And the people with the real power, which are those that control large military formations are the ones that will wind up taking everything and we we know that the concept of money is 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 made up it's putting value into something that doesn't necessarily have any intrinsic value so all of their wealth allows them it's, it definitely is the emperor's new clothes as soon as someone says actually you're butt naked it all falls to pieces in as much as we no longer recognize your currency. No, you can't buy anything with it. Yeah, you might be really rich and you've got a massive amount of land somewhere in the badlands of America, but our invading army from, from the north is just going to go and sit there in, in your big mansion and or ranch house and you haven't got it anymore. I may sound slightly mental there. That might be a bit rambling, but basically that's why they're stupid. They've been clever enough to make all that money They've been clever enough to control us. That was one phrase that Melissa used the other day, which was something about, uh, you know, we, we look at what we've been given. I'm pretty sure she meant as in given as a distraction, the, yeah. the bread and circuses concept. Yeah. Sure. But when I thought about it for a second, before I realized exactly what she meant, I thought I have been given nothing. I have worked for everything that I have and I don't have much. And no one is going to take that away from me without a fight. And I think that's the attitude that everyone needs to develop. Uh, what's mine is mine, and I will protect it with my life. End of story. Because we are being undermined and robbed without even realizing it. The taxes, the uh, fuel prices, the cost of living crisis, all of these things are just stealing from us, basically. You've heard of the phrase, a stitch in time saves nine, yeah? Yes, I have. So let's say you earn a finite finite amount each year, but you are going to be taxed on that amount. 
But all of a sudden you realize, actually, I need to fix this, this, and this. I've got enough money here, but I can either solve these problems that I've got with that money, or I can pay my taxes. You have to pay your taxes. You can't use the stitching time to save nine. You can't say, well, well hang on, I'm not going to pay you now because I need it for that. Because that government, that society is already demanding that money from you. And this is what's really upsetting me at the root of it is that in recent months, where's it all gone? Where's it all been sent? It's been sent to a falsely created war zone and given to one of the most corrupt countries on the face of the earth, the Ukraine. And yes, Russia is not the good guy in this, but all these people with blue and yellow flags still on your profile pictures, you need to wake the f*** up. I think they're just doing that. Quite frankly, I, I believe that that's being done just to, I think that's being done just to irritate people on the right. So it forces them. Do you know, I've talked about scissor strategies before. Yeah, but I mean, how can people on the right get up? People who are truly right wing should be supporting Ukraine because it's full of neo-Nazis. It's full of fascists. Actually, Bruce and I have really done some digging into that. We haven't actually found any yet. Well, uh, according to the reports about these neo-Nazi battalions, uh, the only one that we found, yeah, the the Azov battalion. The only one, the only one that we found was actually founded, and as we suspected, we, it was actually founded by a Russian-speaking Ukrainian all the way over in the territories that they had already annexed in Donetsk and Luhansk. So, if we're going by their past behaviors with the way that Russian intelligence services infiltrates and grabs a hold of a, of a movement, then they created the pretext to go in and deal with that problem, which gave them justification to go in to begin with. Yeah, this, this is a problem. And that this is why when you're in mid-flow and you, you, you've got uh, lots of anger and frustrations building up, that you can make a mistake that perhaps I just made in, in that statement. But nothing's real. Nothing is real. Everything has been um, engineered, falsely created, and we don't know our ass from our elbow at the moment as to who needs our support, who, des who is deserving of our support, because none of it's clear. And that's the biggest problem right there. That Well, it's, I shouldn't say the biggest problem, but it is one of the biggest problems. And that is, as I was mentioning to you in prep, is we've got so much that we can't see. And the reason I, and I'm not I'm not talking about information that you don't have access to. I'm, I'm talking about information that we have access to that is that is blatantly ignored and we're steered away from it. We have so many layers of disinformation and false narratives that we've been fed over generations, not just the last couple of years. I'm talking about over multiple generations. It's like peeling back an onion when you pull back each layer and you see how much each one of these layers is wrapped in disinformation and deception. Then you start to get to the actual root and the heart of the matter. Then you can start to see what's really going on. But that requires, as I said with Melissa, that requires time. That requires study. You've got to go in and you've got to do homework. You've got to sit down. And I understand a lot of people don't have the ability to do that. And I'm very sympathetic to that. But if we want to genuinely understand what's going on, then this requires time. And when I say time, a lot of this, th this is not an easy thing to embark on. Some of these things for you to develop a working theory on what you believe is the right thing to do, what you believe is the right line of thinking for you as an individual. Some of these things require a lifetime of work. I I've told you before, I've spent almost 15 years studying the international communist movement, 15 years. And that's in my own time. 
That's not something that you just sit down one afternoon and you say, you know what, I'm going to study that today and, and I'm going to spend a few hours on it. Yeah, you spend a few hours on that over the course of years, you know, per day or, or per week, whatever you have time for. But that's the problem. We don't take serious topics seriously anymore. We we just we go for the convenient thing. We go for whatever's in this paper or that paper and we grab that talking point or or whatever and we have no context with any of that. Take for example the television, right, with the mainstream media. Every single thing that that presenter gives you is just hollow. None of it actually means anything. Right, left, center, it doesn't matter because there's no context that's delivered with it. Every single thing that they present to you, the context is off camera. And if even one part that they present to you is incorrect with no context, then the whole thing becomes a lie. And the whole the whole thing becomes disinformation. And you base your opinion and your character upon that. And you push that off onto other people. And so th this is the part. We, we don't think critically. We don't study. We don't spend time learning what's actually going on. We just do the convenient thing. Yeah, I can't argue with that. If if we all had more time or actually if we'd all had a proper education to teach us critical thinking rather than teaching us the facts as the establishment want us to understand those facts because we all know history is written by the victors and learning how to study history isn't just, we've mentioned this before, isn't just a case of learning dates and names and events. It's looking at what was happening at the time, what led to those events, what were other possible outcomes. It's an analytical, a, a, a whole set of analytical skills, but people haven't been taught that way. I mean, we're we're lucky in some respect that there were certain philanthropic benefactors that started to educate the poor because, you know, without the ability to read and write, you can still be a carpenter, you can still be a stonemason, you can't be an electrician, you can't be an electronics engineer, you can't be many other things that require you to read instructions and understand more theory. But this reset that we're talking about, it is needed, but it's not the one that Klaus Schwab and his cronies are describing. We do need a great reset, but going back to our uh, another podcast a while back, is a case of don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. So we need to keep the best parts of what we've achieved and reset the bits that are corrupted, malfunctioning, defective. Those are the bits that need to be changed. And part of it is this sycophancy, this hero worship, this looking for a leader who can so easily be corrupted and loved by the masses, but actually leading them straight on the path to hell. When we talk about those kind of people, we could probably name half a dozen straight off the top of our heads, but there's others that are there inside academia. And I sound like an absolute Pol Pot card-carrying communist now, but our academics need to be severely looked at. You know, the I witch have a better hunt. Solution. I have a better solution for that, but I'll let you continue. I'll talk about it. No, after. I was just going to say, like the the witch hunt by MacArthur, it was probably necessary, and that most people see that as as a bad part of history. This should not have happened. People are entitled to their beliefs and, and opinions, and it shouldn't have been conducted that way and people shouldn't have gone to jail. But 
it's becoming more and more obvious that that was probably a really good idea and it didn't go far enough. It was uh, McCarthy, just for the correction. For the McCarthy, sake of, thank McCarthy. you, because I nearly said McCarthy. Yeah, MacArthur was, was the the general. The general. Yeah, McCarthy was the politician. Correct. Yes, McCarthy. Right. He the the thing is 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 with McCarthy with with those things. McCarthy wasn't wrong, but some people believe that he was wrong for the time. And I don't believe that he was. I believe that he was right. And I believe that, as you say, I don't believe he went far enough. And the reason that he didn't go far enough is because what do you do? I guess, how do you deal with the aspect of a mass destructive ideology? You know, th this is this is what we're up against is is this revolutionary ideology that seeks to our destruction, period, end of story. That doesn't matter if you're from the United States. The United States, just, just because of who we are, we have the biggest target on our back because those in the world that have this revolutionary ideology look at the United States as a linchpin. And if they can destroy the United States, then everything else is going to go with it, right? They, they look at it as the foundational structure of the uh, <clears throat> capitalist society or whatever. But this concept you talked about with um, looking at the academics, uh, the intelligentsia, looking at them very seriously. Well, I have a better idea. Let me run this one past you. I ran this past Bruce last night and he says, you know what? That's not a bad idea. So let me see what you think. Right. So we know that we have a problem, right? We've, we've talked about the, the issues that go back to um, the, uh, I, for lack of a better term, the dark ages when people couldn't read or write, but you could still do a trade. Okay. Well, let's bring that up to the, uh, the modern times and let's, let's talk about this. I heard this, this concept put forth a couple of different ways, but let's go this way with it. So we go into the universities and I say, we, I mean, we decide as the people that's enough because these are the gatekeepers. These are the ones that, that are educating the individuals to become, excuse me, educating the, uh, well, what would be the individual to become a groupthink conformist and go into the system and become a bureaucrat, a politician or, or whatever, right? And so we can't have a civilization built on bureaucrats. We can't have a civilization built on, on just conformist because that's not going to work. Civilization cannot survive that way. So let's kick all of the tenured professors out, as in kick them out, fire them, revoke them, revoke, pull their, their credentials, whatever. Let them go find a real job, which they never could, I might add. They would never be able to. There would be a few in there that could possibly do something because I'm not saying that every single professor is bad. I've had some good professors, but I've had some very bad professors at the same time. More bad than good. But let's do something else. But with a lot of this research that we've been doing over the last uh, few months, we're finding it very difficult to obtain the reports and books and things that we need. And one of the reasons is, is because you have to go to academia, as I call them, the gatekeepers, in order to get access to these things. You brought it up to me in a private conversation when I was explaining all this to you. And you said, yeah, that's not surprising because you wouldn't have access to any of this information unless you're in that university, you're studying that course, or you're this person or this fellow at this institution, and you need this to do this. And then I became aware of something even more shocking. And that is, I know somebody that works at a major university in the United States. They work as an employee of the university, not a professor, but just as an employee. They don't even have access to the university library, and they work across the hall from it in the same building. This is a very serious problem. So, Let's get rid of the professors. Let's revoke all the university's charters because they're not doing any good. And let's turn the universities themselves into public libraries. Let's bring back meritocracy. Those who want to learn can go in and learn of their own accord. We can develop real leadership when we have people that take it upon themselves to grab a hold of the initiative and create their own courage and independence. What do you think? I think we've come in full circle from 
almost my opening statement for this podcast, which is freedom includes freedom to fail. So those that have got the um, the time and the will to go and do that research will do it. And knowledge is power. And out of their research, out of their efforts, they will gain something, certainly. And it will be cleaner. It will be less it will not be corrupted. It will not be being forced in a particular direction. The reason they they restrict the access is they want you part of that organization. They want you part of that institution so that you can be channeled and controlled as information is revealed to you. If you are told something without any kind of control being on you, how you react to that information and then subsequently what you do with it could go off in a tangent that goes against what they are trying to maintain. That's why they are gatekeepers. That's why they do what they do. And it it needs to, it needs to be stopped. The whole concept of tradespeople, most of Europe, and I, I don't want to just say this for for the the clickbait or the what's the word the the controversy. Most of Europe actually is anti-Semitic, and that historically that is to be a Jew. You had to read from the Torah. So you to be part of it, you had to read from the scrolls as you develop towards your bar mitzvah. And this has been going on for a good three, four thousand, maybe five thousand years. So you were literate. When the Jewish people were all the tradesmen in, in Europe, suddenly people in power, you know, monarchies and nobility decided that they were not allowed to own land. They weren't allowed to buy property. So what they had was all of the gold and silver that they'd gained from their 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 trades, uh, and they had nothing that they could do with it. So instead, they started to lend it, which is where the phrase usury comes from, because they lent it at interest. And then this was a, a situation where these nobles suddenly had huge debts to Jewish groups and then they decided to make them the the you know the object of their hate and rise their people up against them so this this kind of situation of again of <laughs> you were talking with melissa about how mr watt would be talking on one subject go off at a tangent and he'd always bring it back i'm not as smart as him so i'm hoping that i do get back to what i was trying to say in that if you've got a a literate working class, if your lower class is literate, then they can do exactly as you suggest, which is open the universities up, the facilities, the libraries, and let people learn for themselves. If we continue the way we are, people will be continue to be indoctrinated rather than educated. Absolutely. And and this is this is the biggest problem. What you pointed out there is you can't go in and get access to these things because each time more information is revealed to you, you have to be pushed in the direction. Oh, no, 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 no. Sorry. You can't take that in a way that you think that it means. It means this because this is our policy. This is how things are going to go. And if you if you want to have any future in that field, then you're going to follow that line. You have access to the information, but you're going to have to do 
what you think is is the correct thing within that group. No, I'm sorry. This is the biggest problem is we have too much conformity. We have too much in the way of, uh, l- let me put it this way, our foreign policy and our domestic policy in the West in general, I'm just kind of throwing a, a large cover over this whole thing. We base everything around what we believe is something that makes us comfortable or something that makes us feel good, right? If you step up and you offer something outside of the norm, outside of the agenda, outside of the the box, if you will, then you're ostracized. As I said earlier, whatever career you think you might have had would have been over at that point, and you're stuck in a corner office somewhere, and no one's going to call you. No one's going to ask for your emails. No one's going to ask for you to be in, in any meetings or anything because you can't play by the rules. Well, that's academia, is you have to play by their rules. You have to play by what they tell you to do. If you don't, then you don't get to be a part of that organization. You don't get to be part of the um, the elite intelligentsia class, if, if you will. So the universities, right, getting back to those. What is a career these days? It's based on, when I say a career, it's based on what you do before you get there. You come up through the institutions. You're taught to be a conformist. You're taught to operate within that structure. You're not taught to question anything. You're taught to obey. You're taught to conform. If you can do this, they have a position for you, and then you become a class in and of yourself. And by that, I mean, you go to the institutions, you come out, you're guaranteed, guaranteed, I use that term very loosely because I've interviewed these people and and was told to bring them into major uh, corporations because of the institutions that that they went to. And these people believe that they were entitled to these positions, not that they earned it, not that they possessed the skills to be there, but they were entitled to it because of what they had done to get there that landed them that opportunity to sit in front of the interviewer. But that doesn't necessarily mean that you know anything. I used to always ask these 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 idiots. <laughs> all right, fine. I've asked you all these questions. I understand what your your qualifications are. What can you do? None of them could answer that. I never got a straight answer because none of them could actually do anything. None of them possessed any practical skills. Nothing. That's the difference between uh, a sense of entitlement and a confidence in your own ability. If you've been through a program of education all the way to master's and even PhD, then you should come out the other side of that with some usable skills. And you should have the confidence that in your education, you were tested at sufficient level so that you can apply those skills in the real world. But that's not what we're getting. That that, that is no longer what's happening. And do we all have to aspire to that that level of society, that strata of the elite intelligentsia? Because, you know, we we need food, we need shelter, we need energy, we need all of these things that that particular most venerated and exalted strata of society simply cannot provide us with. They haven't got the skills to do that which is, I go back to what I said earlier on about the two levels within the blue collar strata, the group that has the skills and the ability to make our lives comfortable and the other group who feel they have nothing uh, and, and therefore are a problem because if they feel they've got nothing left to lose, they will start to steal, rob, murder and so on. So yeah, society has a problem. Society in itself has got inherent problems and one of the main ones is if we fixed all the things that we don't like at the moment 
we would wind up in a situation where some people would simply fall through the cracks, down the drain, be lost, and it's a survival of the fittest situation. And I don't think even I'm fit enough necessarily to survive that. I mean, I'm getting older now, but you asked what a career was, and a career these days is anything between 20 to 40 years worth of work, after which you have a pension. Would you consider some a subsistence farmer to have a career? No, you wouldn't. It's not a career. He's living hand to mouth, and hopefully he and his partner will have had some children who they can then pass that land on to. And then in their dotage, the kids are then running the farm, growing the food, and feeding mum and dad. But where else does that that exist? How does that exist these days? Where does that blue-collar career lead you to? If people are not putting money into pensions, whether it's the... I mean, the national pension won't leave you comfortable here in the UK. You will just about survive on it if you're lucky. So unless you've got some kind of private investment, but of course, these private investments are all controlled by the evil bastards that are pushing this new world order great reset on us, the big Uh, corporations. again, Again, I think they're just stupid, to be fair. To do what that, they as, to do they are stupid in that they haven't fully looked forward into what the final outcome is because the final outcome is anarchy, chaos, blood in the streets, warfare, class warfare, and eventually they will lose. And in fact, everyone will lose, but they will be the ones that disappear. To your point about a farmer uh, not being a career, I for one, and I'm sure that you probably do too, I for one consider it to be a career, but that's just me. I, well, I believe a, it's- A career is a, is a, has, has a beginning and an end to it. You know, oh, it I, does, I, yeah. had, I had well, a, a, a career 25 year career doing yeah, yeah, this, yeah. and then I retired. Whereas people who work in, in farming, uh, even some of the older trades, carpentry, building, you know, construction, a lot of them pass on their skills either to their their offspring or to an apprentice and uh, you know it it goes on but it's it's not necessarily a career unless you can go i'm retiring at the end of uh, at the end of it and i'm going to be comfortable tying that back into the universities that's what the degrees themselves and i use that term very loosely degrees that's what they've become it's a career path it's a way to secure your fortune and it gives you the um the right again air quotes the right to belittle the people that don't go the same way you do it forms that um i i want to say it's almost an inferiority complex they get to see themselves as superior to other people because they've been through the institutions and they've been told that they're the intelligent ones. And so this is where this attitude develops that you're talking about is where they they go up into this this larger class. And it's it's really it's um it's a sad thing when you look at it from a practical standpoint, because at the end of the day, they're in, in my opinion, where where I am now, my my way of seeing things, they're really just insignificant and they just haven't the the tragedy of it is is that they themselves haven't realized it yet but they're slowly coming to that realization i think yeah they need to be taken out of their comfort zone for a while and and learn a bit of humility um and that's that's it's a lack of humility this overconfidence that the entitled seem to have works to their detriment because even if for just a moment they find themselves not able to walk to a stopped refrigerator or get into a chauffeur-driven car or 
do any of the, the, the things that everyday folk do every day, then they don't realize just how ineffective and vulnerable they actually are. The only thing that's stopping them from being torn to pieces and dispossessed is the society and the way it's been set up. Society, which is there also to give the the disadvantaged an even chance of, of having a successful life, also protects those that are, you know, undermining it. Well, it's been a great conversation, my friend. I believe we're going to have to leave it there. Do you have any final thoughts before you get away for the week? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to apologize in advance for this one because uh, I always get that feeling at the end of end of a podcast as to whether that went well or not. And it was a hard one today because we're talking about things that really should have been fixed a long time ago, but haven't been because we've been complacent. Complacency is our worst enemy. That sounds like a great title. And I think that that's what we're going to have to go with at the end. And you you know how it is when these things, you know, because I have the same thoughts going through my head. You know how it is when it comes out in post. I, I always say it turned out just fine. You know, I, I always worry about whether or not it's going to come out the way we wanted it to. And it always comes out that way. So it's funny how that happens. But I think it's because it's a it's a natural, organic, unscripted conversation. Yes, I made a few notes, but by and large, I'm speaking straight from the heart as to how I feel about these things. We'll see you next week, my friend. Yes, indeed, you will. Very good. That'll do it for us for today and for this week. Marty, I'd like to thank you for being here today. Thank you to all of the listeners. God bless everyone. Have a great weekend, and we will see you on Monday. Monday.